scripture reading this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. The Bible reads, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge Psalms 19 verses 1 and 2 for the invisible things of him since the creation of the world are clearly seen being perceived in the things from the things that are made, even his eternal power and divinity, so that they are without excuse. When God wanted to show himself, he made the world. When he wanted to fully show himself, to completely show himself, he became a man. In John 1, in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6 that that glory was shown in the face of Jesus Christ. In verse 18 of John 1, the Bible says, No man has seen the Father at any time, but the Son who is in the bosom of the Father has declared him. These are all references to the incarnate God. Jesus Christ. And the scripture tells us that though incarnate, Christ did not leave behind his Godhood. Paul tells us in Colossians 2 and verse 9 that in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In chapter 1 and verse 15, he says, He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God. 1 Peter 1 and 21, Peter tells us that it's by him that we believe in God. And Jesus said to his disciples, the record of which is in John 14, beginning at verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, he said, you would have known my Father. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough. And Jesus said to him, Philip, 
Have I been with you so long and you still don't know who I am? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And so when you and I look at Christ, who is called Emmanuel, there's no doubt about it. We're looking at God, not a substitute. We're looking at God with us. It's as if God is saying to us, do you want to see me as I really am? Do you want to know me as I really am? Do you want to know what is your destiny to fulfill? Look at Jesus. Jesus Christ is God with us. And we're made in the image of God. Let us make man in our own image and after our likeness. So God made man in the image of God. In the image of God made he him, male and female. He created them. So why were we made? Why do you exist? Have you ever thought about it? We were made to reflect the image of God to reflect the likeness of Christ. Forgiveness is not the bottom line of our proclamation. Living in the image of God is the bottom line. I am not my own idea, and you are not your own idea. God created us for eternal, loving holy fellowship to give us a share of his glorious immortal life. Forgiveness is an indispensable step toward this spiritual unity with God, but God made us for goodness, for kindness, for forgiveness, for caring for one another, for holiness, for his eternal fellowship. And this is our destiny to fulfill. And he made this clear when he came into the world and revealed himself, made himself visible in the person of Jesus Christ. We are made in his image. And Paul says that by beholding the glory of Christ daily, by looking upon Christ, as it were, daily, we are transformed into his image. If we're made in his image, if we're, if we're made to reflect the likeness of Christ and the likeness of God, what is God like? What do we learn about God when we look at the person of Jesus Christ. Three things this morning. First of all, we learn that God is a people being. He loves people with a, with a love that we can't really understand. And he wants to be with people. He had fellowship with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Gethsemane. Genesis 3 mentions the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, apparently descriptive of an ongoing relationship 
that he had with them. God told Moses to build a tabernacle, told Solomon to build a temple that he might dwell among his people, Exodus 25 and verse 8. And as we have seen already, he came to earth and, and he tabernacled in human flesh in the person of Jesus because he wanted to be with his people. And when he left the earth, ascended back into heaven, he left his body, the church, here on earth, that through this body he might continue to be among his people. And when he came to earth, he didn't come to see the Grand Canyon or, or to become some great king or world ruler or some financier, but the scripture says he came to seek and save the lost. To give his life a ransom for many, he came to look for people. His mission then is our mission now. Through the church, he continues to look for people. A little boy was lost in the area of the Grand Canyon while his family was on vacation there. His father naturally was distraught. He went and had leaflets printed by the thousands, rented a plane and went up into the air and he dropped those leaflets all over the area. And the, and the leaflets read, Dirk, this is your dad. I'm looking for you. I'm going to find you. Don't worry. God loves each and every one in a way that we can understand. And on every page of scripture, as it were, he has written, I love you, I'm looking for you, and I'll find you. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his unique, one-of-a-kind son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. God gave us the Bible because He's in the people business, and he wants us to learn about him and to come to know him. God is a people being. Number two, God is an any kind of people being. He loves everybody. My father loves any kind of people, all kinds of people, everyone. His love is unconditional. His salvation is not unconditional. He gave his son. His son gave his life, shed his blood for everyone. And salvation is only for those who accept Christ through obedience to the gospel. But no one will be lost because God doesn't love them. He didn't make us to condemn us. God's love is not like our love or our so-called love. At times we have a love you might describe as an if love. You know, if you love me, you will do this or you will do that. 
Maybe some young lady has had some suitor to say something like that to her. Or maybe it's been a young man that's had a young lady. If you love me, you will do this or that. Sometimes we have a because of love. I love you because you are this or that. I love you because you are so beautiful. You are so good. But God's love is an any way love. Even when we are not beautiful, even when we're not good, God loves us anyway. Paul says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, he reconciled us unto himself by the death of his son. Romans 5, 8, and 10. Ephesians 2, he says, When we were dead in our trespasses and sin, God made us alive together with Christ. This is important because it assures me that he will never stop loving me. He will never stop loving you. He'll always want us. Now this isn't an endorsement of sin. Sin, your sin and my sin, necessitated the cross. He won't turn his head to our sin, but he does provide a means of redemption. And it's not based upon what we have done or what we might do. It's based upon what Christ did, if we accept him. We are made in the image of God, and we are to reflect the love of God in all of our dealings with our fellow men. As we interact with them, as we point them to Christ, they should see reflected in us the love of God. Jesus said, if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? If you stop and think about it, when we, if we love only those who love us, really, isn't that a, a, a reflection of ourselves that we love? We are to reflect the love of God and reflect it to the degree that we will reach out to all that are lost, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, no matter what. And this is easier said than done. We have to get out of our comfort zone to do that. One of the most frequent criticisms that Jesus received while on earth, his critics on one occasion said, he eats with sinners. There was never a truer statement made than that one. He said, I'm a physician, and they that are whole don't need a physician. God is a people being. He's an any kind of people being. Third and last, God is a suffering servant. Isaiah 53 is a prophecy of the promised Messiah and it pictures him as a suffering servant. 
In John 13 in the New Testament, we read one of the most interesting and instructive incidents in the life of Christ. You'll remember he was observing the last Passover that he would eat with his disciples on earth. They were in an upper room. And the scripture says that he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, tied it around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, no doubt on his knees. And as he washed their feet, he then wiped them dry with the towel that he had wrapped about his waist. Who is this? It's Emmanuel, God with us. It's Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Let me ask you a question. How many lords were there in that upper room and how many servants? You say, Brother Hilliard, there was just one Lord and 12 servants, I suppose. Yes and no. There was really only one one servant. On that occasion, only one. You see, they needed ceremonial cleansing. They were still under the Jewish law to eat that meal. They had traveled there wearing sandals and possibly their feet had come in contact with some dead thing, thus unclean ceremonially. Someone needed to perform that menial task, provide water, a basin, wash the feet. But if you're familiar with a greater context, his disciples were concerned about who would be have the best seats in the coming kingdom, who would be first. So Jesus, their Lord and ours, had to wash their feet. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you ought to do the same for one another. And he said, I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. He was not instituting the ordinance of washing feet here. He was not instituting a church ordinance as he had done when he... when he instituted the Lord's Supper, he was teaching an object lesson on humility, on the importance of being willing to serve. Why is it that Christ is our Lord and Savior? It's not just because he's bigger and stronger He's our Lord and Savior because He's better. He's sweeter. He's kinder. He's better in all things. And He earned the right to become our Savior by the things which He suffered. Hebrews 10 and verse 9 is a passage fairly familiar to us. We see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste of death for everyone. But we don't 
often read verse 10. For it was fitting that he, God, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. God is a suffering Savior. Jesus not only reveals what God is like, but he also reveals what man should be like. The more we are like Christ, the more we are like what God made us to be. Brethren, and I hope you don't misunderstand what I'm about to say, but we are not often out-talked or out-argued, but I do wonder sometimes if we are out-prayed and out-loved and out-served. We must teach and preach the gospel. We must contend earnestly for the truth. I know that. But we must adorn the gospel by the lives that we live. Lives that reflect the likeness of Christ who was a suffering servant. We're more than a mere worship society and I Certainly you understand, I don't mean to demean the importance and the privilege we have in worshiping our God on an occasion like this morning. But we're called to do more than sing without the instrument, and we're called to do more than to eat the Lord's Supper upon the first day of every week. We're called to reflect the love of God, reflect the likeness, of Jesus Christ and to point people, lost people, to Christ. Here's the way Paul put it. I can't read these verses ever without doing some serious reflection and thinking about my own life. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Philippians 1.21, he said, For to me, to live is Christ. Christ was Paul's reason for living. It was his purpose in life. Paul had no thought for life apart from his relationship with Jesus Christ. And that causes me to ask the question of myself and of you this morning. Does Christ live in you? Is Christ your life? The life you live each day, is it a life lived by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for you? 
Is likeness to Christ something that you earnestly desire? It begins, of course, initially with our faith in Jesus, our obedience to the gospel of Christ, which includes repentance, confession, and baptism, all of which are expressions of faith. We're told that when we're baptized, we're baptized into Christ. Romans 6 and 3. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. If any man be in Christ, uh, no, uh, we're, we're baptized into Christ, therefore we put on Christ. Uh, it's not coming to me the exact words, but when we're baptized, we put on Christ. In Christ. He said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. When we're baptized into Christ, we rise to walk in what? Newness of life. A new creature. One who walks in newness of life. Seeking the likeness of Christ each and every day in his life. Do these statements that Paul made describe you? Are you a child of God? If so, is your life a walk of faith in Christ? Does your life daily, the words you speak, the thoughts you have, the attitude you manifest, the actions, your actions, do these things support your claim to be a Christian? Are you striving each day to reflect the image of God? We're going to sing a song of encouragement now to any who are here and who may be subject to the invitation of our Lord. We encourage you to come at this time while we sing. Who will follow Jesus?